just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today, I was able to connect with Natasha Goditz to chat about her diagnosis of juvenile idiopathic arthritis and the journey that led her to a double hip replacement. In this episode, Natasha explains what it was like receiving a diagnosis when she was 10 years old, the effects university had on her health, the ups and downs of moving overseas and exploring the world on immunosuppressants, which... Side note, does involve shingles, strep throat, a parasite and dengue fever, the impacts holistic health practices have had, and of course, the big one, what it's like having a double hip replacement at age 32. I honestly could have chatted to Natasha for hours, and like I say at the end of the interview, I am so honoured that she trusted me and That's So Chronic to share her story with all of you today. Welcome to That's So Chronic. working in the health and wellness space. Your Instagram bio says mentorship, breathwork and trauma release, merging science with spirituality to support healing. And you have actually been on a health journey of your own, which we're going to talk about today. You were diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis, irritable bowel syndrome, and you have also had a double hip replacement at the age of 32. So I think we've got a lot to talk about today. So thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, a little bit to cover. Yeah. Where do we start? Where does the story begin, I guess? What was childhood like growing up with all of this going on? Well, it's hard to remember exactly when it started, but mm-hmm. I just remember even as a child having gut issues. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was always really aware of my stomach. I always felt really bloated, mm-hmm. like, especially compared to my friends. Yeah. Um, I always felt like, quite uncomfortable in my belly and. Yeah, I had a lot of, like, I was sleeping a lot as well. So that was another telltale sign. Mm-hmm. So it started off with going to a gut specialist, okay. um, a gastroenterologist, when I yeah. was back in the UK. Okay. And yeah, from there, he started to notice that my joints were also quite inflamed. Ah, interesting. Mm, and because we were telling him that I'm sleeping a lot, mm-hmm. it's not normal for like a 10 year old girl to be sleeping this yeah. much. And then, yeah, once he saw the joints and he connected the dots, he's like, you need to see a rheumatologist. I know what this is. Oh, Um, wow. This is like an inflammatory type of arthritis. So we got in through the back door quite fast, which is Mm -hmm. great because I hear so many stories of people taking years and years to get diagnoses. Yeah. Is that like quite interesting that he's able to, you know, it's not necessarily his speciality Mm. to be able to pick that up. So that's quite amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. it's really amazing, and mm-hmm. you do meet those like rare gems along the way that have more knowledge than like one specialty. And yeah, yeah, it's been so helpful on my journey. Incredible. So then you're able to go and see a rheumatologist. Yeah. What is the next step 
in this process? So, yeah, we saw the rheumatologist and treatment began quite fast. So I had okay. several swollen joints by the time I saw him. I think it was six weeks later. What kind of, like, what joints? Mm, so it affected wrists, elbows, knees, hips, ankles. Wow. It was, like, majority of them by this yeah. stage. and. Yeah, I think mom, mom really knew something was wrong because, like, I didn't feel like shopping. I didn't feel yeah. like eating cookies. You know, all of the yeah. <laughs> fun things that she was like, come on, like, surely you want to do yeah. this? And I was just like, I just want to sleep yeah. all the time. And yeah. so I went in and had, yeah, multiple injections. They call them steroid injections, okay. cortisone injections, mm-hmm. into each of the joints. And I had that under anesthetic because okay. I was only 10 and it would have wow. been pretty traumatic for a, a kid to go yeah. through that. And with these injections, mm-hmm. that is that in the actual place like where the joint issue is happening? Yeah, so mm-hmm. they go like directly in with a needle. Wow. Yeah, and that the steroids reduce like the inflammation quite fast. It's like a very okay. quick acting thing. And yeah. at the same time, he started me on some medications in hopes that by the time the steroid injections wore off, the meds would have kicked in. Okay. Mm. How did you find the, I mean, can you remember back to this Mm. time? Like, did you get relief when they did these injections? I actually can remember back to that time quite significantly. Yeah. Because I remember going from sleeping all the time. Yeah. Not wanting to do anything to this memory of me like kind of skipping down the road <gasps> to something I don't know where we were going but yeah to one of our regular things I just remember being able to like walk and run again and mm-hmm. have energy again that's and I amazing pro- yeah I probably didn't understand it as yeah. a kid because you're just so present right yeah as a kid yeah. but I do remember that moment and yeah wow. mom remembers that moment quite well too mm. that's amazing and how did you find being 10 years old and all of this is happening, and I'm assuming mm. other kids in your class, you know, were they understanding? Were Was school understanding? Yeah, school was very understanding. I had a lot of time off school mm-hmm. whilst we were navigating, especially yeah. the beginning parts where I was sleeping. So I remember being absent for most of, like, a year wow. and sleeping a lot. That's kind of all I remember. Yeah. And I think as a child, compared to, like, what I go through now with it, I don't know, you just don't think about it that much. You just (laughs) sleep when you're tired. Exactly. Eat when you're hungry. And yeah, I I probably didn't have the awareness of what was actually really going on. Yeah. But I do remember going into like my teens, being at school and just feeling a bit slower than everyone else. So like in PE, people would be running and moving and I'd be like, why do my muscles feel like quicksand? Or why can't I do this 3K sprint that everyone else can do and things like that so I started to feel different in certain classes and being more tired and even like shuffling around school Mm. of like yes like having to hold the railings and noticing like oh none of my friends have to do this yeah Um, so I think fatigue that muscle fatigue and almost like fibromyalgia feel of everything feels so heavy was the thing I noticed the most at school. And Mm. did you continue taking the medication that they then put you on all through the the rest of growing up, I guess? Yeah, so I took, I remember taking it till I was about 14. Okay. So I was on um, methotrexate, um, which is an immunosuppressant for that time. And I remember it making me feel quite sick, especially Mm. the two days after taking it. Okay. Because it is quite harsh on the liver and yeah one of the side effects is known to be nausea yeah 
And yeah, when I hit 14, we'd moved to New Zealand by then Mm -hmm. and I was feeling a lot more settled and it went into what medical um, professionals call a remission. Okay. So I had a nice break from 14 to 18 of no medications and feeling just like every other teenager. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. And then I'm assuming something happens when you're 18. Yeah, I, it was the stress, the stress of uni. Okay. I think brought it on perhaps, you know, exploring drinking, partying, (laughs) staying out late, eating all sorts of probably non-nutritional food. Yeah, cheap, anything that's affordable. Right? Like $2 pizzas, yes, please. (laughs) Oh, wow. So what was that time like? Had you moved out of home? Were you even living in like university accommodation and things like that? Yeah, I'd moved from, so I went to Fielding Ag High School and Mm -hmm. I'd moved to Wellington to uh, go to university. Wow. So like a huge lifestyle shift as well. Yeah, a huge lifestyle shift and... Yeah, it's all those stresses of I didn't know anyone there. Yeah. Is this the right course for me? Am I doing the right thing? Yeah. Um, all of those. And like finances, like trying to find a job and mm-hmm. how am I going to get through this? And yeah, yeah, living, I'd moved into like a uni apartment mm-hmm. kind of style complex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned that you weren't taking any medication until 18. When you then relapse with this stress and with this lifestyle change, What were you able to do to try and manage that? It came on, I mean, it probably came on gradually, but I first started seeing the signs when I'd gotten like a bar job. Okay, yeah. (laughs) To try and support like living. Mm -hmm. And I just remember walking home one night, again, that slow. I was like, oh, this walk is usually only five minutes. Why is it taking me so long? Yeah. And I got home and I just thought, I'm tired or maybe it's the flu. And the next Mm -hmm. morning I woke up and all my joints were puffed up. And I was like, I, I know what this is. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I went to hospital and then began, yeah, some, some medication again and seeing the specialist. And this time took a bit longer to get in just because public has quite long wait lists. Yeah. So I saw a yeah, specialist as soon as I can and got back on some meds. Okay. What happens next? Do you find relief when you start taking these medications? I find what happens next and it tends to happen a couple of times in my life Mm -hmm. becomes a bit of a human experiment okay of okay which medication is going to help now what kind of arthritis is this now because they call it juvenile idiopathic arthritis when you're a kid Mm -hmm. but when you reach 18 it's kind of like they're like oh I don't really know what this is anymore interesting so run some tests and They've never been fully able to put like one thing on it, but they've okay. oscillated between juvenile idiopathic arthritis and psoriatic arthritis okay. and at times even ankylosing spondylitis. Yeah. So, yeah. But in, ter- in such, it's an inflammatory type of arthritis and it all gets treated quite similarly with the medications. Yeah. And it is autoimmune, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. If, if people are listening and they're like, oh, I've got no idea what that means, mm. how would you describe how it's working inside your body. Yeah, I would describe, I've, it's, it's interesting, it's changed over the years, mm-hmm. but essentially I would describe it as an immune system that's working on overdrive yeah. and perhaps shooting cells in the wrong direction yeah. <laughs> and the wrong places. And for arthritis, it tends to be in the joints. So mm-hmm. that's why they've 
classified those under that. Yeah, but essentially an immune system gone a bit haywire. So the human experiment, Mm. trying to work (laughs) out what's going to work for you. Is there a sense of if you've already tried one, perhaps the body doesn't respond to that as well? And so you kind of have to go through the process of finding one that works for you? Yeah, there is. I think there's all sorts that factor in. Mm -hmm. One is... Yeah, you, if you've been on one once, come off, and sometimes you go back on, it's not as, infe- as effective. Yeah. And then other times, all the different meds that they use for arthritis target different cells. So okay. perhaps you might try like a biologic that targets like a TNF cell, but mm-hmm. if that's not the one going haywire in the body, yeah. it's not going to do anything. Yeah. And so they might try another one that targets like a different cell. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, it does become a bit of an experiment because they can't, test yeah right to see which cell i mean i it blows my mind that they can't test because yeah I'm like, surely but they it's, still yeah. yeah yeah and i think a lot of people would just expect that there would be a test for things like this yeah yeah and especially when so some arthritis have very distinct blood work so like okay. if you've got rheumatoid arthritis you've generally got a rheumatoid factor in your bloods and if you've got ankylosing spondylitis you've generally got like a hbl27 gene Mm -hmm. but none of those were showing for me and not even was the inflammation showing for me okay on my bloods but you could see it like yeah like there's definitely fluid in your joints like it was like my kneecap was swimming but yeah nothing was showing on blood so it makes it a bit harder to a diagnose and target. Did you eventually find something that helped you manage these symptoms? Yeah, I did. After some time, it was a combination of, I went back on the methotrexate Mm -hmm. and then started another medication called leflunamide. Okay. They're often sometimes prescribed together. Yeah. And had regular steroid injections into my hips. So the hips were really like a main problem for most of the time. Mm. With these symptoms that you're experiencing, how would that affect your day-to-day life back when you were studying at university during this time? It was, it definitely made it challenging, trying to like navigate new friends, like new environment, studying, Mm -hmm. new city. Yeah. (laughs) And there's a lot of hills in Wellington. Yeah, a lot of hills. (laughs) And yeah, whilst being a human experiment, and managing all that, it was tough. Yeah. But yeah, I have to say, I mean, the first year was probably the hardest okay. while they like, till they found kind of like the magic thing that was gonna yeah. help tide me over. Yeah. And so the first year was pretty low key for me, probably not quite the uni experience I signed up for. Yeah. That being said, I had some amazing housemates that were very supportive. Okay. That's good. So that was amazing. They understood and teachers uh, were really supportive. Yeah. So I managed, yeah, to get through and do it all. And nice. luckily I had, like, really enjoyed the course. Okay. Yeah. And you were studying so design? Yeah, so graphic design. Exciting. Yeah, it's kind of like a creative outlet. And when I really got into those zones, I wouldn't think about the pain or yeah. kind of what I was going through. Were you also exploring any other type of management or were you kind of solely focused on, okay, we need to find what medication will work? At this stage, I was purely in the... Western doctors, yeah. medical, like okay. 
I will take the meds and keep eating the pizza and yeah. the ice cream. And yeah. no, I refuse to go gluten free okay. and dairy free <laughs> right now. Yeah. 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 So I, you know, I want a, a semi normal uni experience of at least being able to eat what I want. And yeah. yeah, I was definitely still drinking from time to time. And you just want to be part of it. And yeah. Definitely didn't mix well with the meds. But at this stage, that's like, that was where my focus was at. Is trying okay. to find the medications yeah mm. I was reading on your website that you then decided to move to London mm. is that the next <laughs> step in the story yeah so after the first year of uni the, the next three were a lot more manageable okay once I had the meds and I think it was in third year where I was like okay it's time to go gluten and dairy free oh, okay so I started like refining diet and making sure I was really active, like yoga. Mm-hmm. Started really getting into yoga then. Yeah. And like moving a lot. And also the school, like the Massey University doctor, they also had like an acupuncturist oh, there. Amazing. So I was started to explore like, oh, what is this natural world of yeah. things? Yeah. So by the time I finished uni, yeah, I was ready for like travels cool. and I just didn't feel like New Zealand had a lot of design jobs at the time. And being British, I had a UK passport and hadn't yeah. seen some family back there in a long time. So I thought, oh, why not? I'll just go and see what happens. Amazing. Yeah. Was there a process of trying to transfer your care from New Zealand to the UK? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, I've moved quite a lot of times. And Which I'm so excited to it, chat about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there, there always is quite a hefty progress okay. to get like the right medical team, yeah. to get into the systems. Being British, I didn't have the visa issues, yeah. and I didn't have so it meant I already had like an NHI number. Perfect. Could get in quite fast, and I think as soon as I got there, I set up a GP who then refers you and. Okay. We did all that and I left with enough medication from my rheumatologist here. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, like, Mm. how does that work with running out? Yeah, so you can, I think you can ask if you've, like, once you've got a specialist, Mm -hmm. you just say, I'm moving, I might need, like, six months to tide me over, can you do me a big script? And then being on the plane with that much medication, generally, they'll give you a letter. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So you don't look like a crazy person. Yeah, you're just like importing them over there. <laughs> yeah, half my suitcase is medication. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that kind of process. And then, yeah, once you get to a place and you see a specialist, if, if you don't like them, like I've had to change a couple of times. Okay. But generally once you're in, it's good. And yeah. I have to say I've been lucky. There hasn't been long wait times where I've yeah. been. Yeah. So you get a new specialist mm-hmm. over in the UK. Do you continue with the medication that you're on? Because I know that sometimes from chatting to other people, when they've changed specialists or or in especially countries on the other side of the world, perhaps some of the processes or the ways that they manage things might be a little bit different. So were you able to continue on the medication and, and was it still working? Yeah. So I continued with the same meds. He was, yeah, he was seemed happy with that. Okay, cool. And still got the steroid injections okay so by this stage I'd had quite a lot in my hips wow. um and there was already like bone on bone damage right but I was just determined to keep going as long as I could with that and do everything still <sighs> with it <laughs> was that sustainable it was until until 32 okay yeah okay <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and until I'd found like more holistic practices yeah. and specialists to help with that, like with that side of things. Okay. Yeah. I haven't lived in London, but I have visited London and there's a lot going on. <laughs> How were you finding navigating your condition while living in London? While I was there, like looking back now, I was probably in a bit of survival. Okay. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, mm-hmm. but looking back and reflecting, it was definitely the fast-paced life. So for anyone that hasn't been or even has been, it's very work hard, play hard. Yeah. It's very big. There's a lot of walking. There's a lot of fast walking as well. But yeah, like, <laughs> and people don't slow down for you. No. So I think a lot of it, I was running on adrenaline a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think thriving on that, like, buzz. So, like, this big city, London, has this, like, buzz about it. So you kind of get swept up in it. Yeah. I was, like, very much in it. Okay. And I think, yeah, the medications and the like, I was pretty eating pretty healthy at this stage and that helped a lot Yeah. with it. But, mm-hmm. again, I was still going out quite a bit drinking quite a bit and still trying to live a very normal life almost in denial okay that I had anything wrong so I think I just was masking it by being fast Mm -hmm. yeah the meds that you are on are they still immunosuppressants yes okay changed now but when you were in London yes that was compromising your immune system yes yeah how did you find that it's like it's funny because as I said in denial I almost the specialist would give me a medication I'd almost just be like oh yeah cool and just take it and not do any research and almost not care too much about Mm. it like I'd hear the word immunosuppressant and I was like cool I'm just gonna bury that down yeah and (laughs) um be normal yeah and pretend that I'm just taking medication that means I can walk so I probably didn't pay too much attention and was probably a bit reckless okay I remember getting sick quite a bit like definitely a lot more than like my workmates mm-hmm. or my peers. Yeah. But that being said, not too drastically, except for when I got shingles. Oh, no. <laughs> that that was a real kick up the bum. Yeah. Especially because they were like, oh, usually you don't get this until you're like elderly yeah. or like really <laughs> immunocompromised. Yeah. And after that, I got several rounds of strep throat. Right. And I was like, okay, now I'm, I think I'm starting to see the toll on okay. my body of yeah. this fast lifestyle and of me ignoring perhaps what's actually going on almost not wanting to face it did it prompt a change yeah okay yeah the shingles prompted quite a big change because that took quite a while to get over oh shingles is are not fun I mean I I haven't had shingles but Mm. I've seen other people have shingles and oh my god yeah if like if anyone hasn't had it or is wondering it just feels to touch your skin hurts yeah. like it's such a nerve thing and wow. it's like this burning sensation with this rash but just you just feel viral it's very virally fluid yeah. like yucky okay mm. <laughs> so there's a shift there is a shift what do you decide to do next I should probably mention there was the shingles um the strep throat and then also a diagnosis of CIN and VIN3, okay. which is precancerous cells on my cervix. Yes. And that prompted two surgeries okay. to have those removed. And once I'd come out of those surgeries, yeah, something in me was like, something has to change because yeah. you can't go on like this. Like, yeah. 
I don't know where you're headed, but it's not a good place. Yeah. Were you able to pick those up on a regular smear test? I said it's a bit of a funny slash embarrassing story. Oh my goodness. Okay. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) I went to the doctor because I had an itchy bum. Okay. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I've got worms. Yeah. I need to go and get checked. Yeah. And so I went and I was like, I've got a really itchy bum. I think I've got worms. And she takes a look. She's like, oh. Oh, this this isn't um, worms. I actually need you to go and see a gynecologist like, oh, wow. right away. And the next day, I was in the hospital having a biopsy done. And I was like, "Wait, wait this a minute! Is I, too fast. Yeah, I also just came to get yeah. some tablets for some worms, yeah. and now I'm having like part of my cervix cut out. Wow! And so it was a bit of a blur, and it was very fast. And yeah. I think two days after that, I got the results, and literally a week after that, I was in for surgery. Oh, wow! Extremely fast over there. They're yeah. really good with. anything precancerous or cancerous so Mm -hmm. very lucky to be in that place wow but a bit of a blur and I can totally understand (laughs) why that would cause a shift in mentality or like a a shift in perspective yeah is this when you decide to travel a little bit more yeah so so I'd already done a bit of Southeast Asia okay so that was after I'd been in London for about a year I decided to do Southeast Asia sorry South America Mm mm-hmm for three months okay. and travel. I really wanted to see Peru and the yeah. Inca Trail. So I did that. Mm-hmm. And again, the adrenaline, because two months prior to doing that, I was just in a horrific flare up. And I remember my workplace when I said, oh, I'm quitting and going traveling. My boss was like, if you want to stay, it's fine because yeah. your health's not the best. I can see that. And right. The specialist was like, I don't know how this is going to happen. But he was so supportive. Yeah. He's like, well, do a set of treatments that mean you can go and like live your dreams. Okay. So we scheduled a whole round of more steroid shots just before I flew. Mm-hmm. Because I was determined I wanted to walk yeah. and do the ink yeah. and everything. Which, side note, that's it's like closed. I know. Really at the moment now. Or like possibly forever. I know. Yeah. So glad I did it. Yeah, so glad you did it. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, again, amazing luck with the specialist I had, but perhaps pushing myself too hard. That being said, I don't regret it. No. I loved traveling and, again, set off with my suitcase of all my meds for the three months. And, yeah, being immunocompromised in a third world country was quite hard. I did end up getting a parasite. Okay, which didn't help the digestive issues that I was already dealing with and definitely didn't help the autoimmune stuff. Okay. Mm. And once I'd come back from that to London, there was a hard six months of, like, not being able to eat much at all and a lot of diarrhoea. Yeah. A lot of seeing... That's when I started seeing, like, gut health specialists and naturopaths and Mm -hmm. herbalists to try and, like clear what had happened in my system did you did Mm. you find that that was able to help seeing these people definitely yeah I think over that six months working with different specialists in that field to get like the herbs to kill what needed to be killed and flush everything was really helpful yeah and yeah I've seen naturopaths and herbalists on and off since then and okay I would say it's been quite fundamental in my journey How was your mental health during this time where you're determined to go and live your dreams and you really want to travel, do amazing adventures, and then to have, you know, 
this parasite happen, have to go back to London, your health not feeling the best. How Does that take a toll on your mental health? Yeah, it definitely like did. But in saying that, I've always just been such a positive and determined person yeah. that like it's never having this diagnosis has never stopped me doing anything, yeah. even if it's been extreme. Yeah. <laughs> and I've always managed to like push through. Mm-hmm. But I would say the gut stuff going on for six months and not being able to eat much and yeah. that took its toll. And then once I'd gotten like the shingles and the precancerous cells, yeah. I was like, I think that, that is when my mental health dropped okay. rapidly and that's what sparked me moving closer back home to Melbourne. Okay. Yeah, because I just couldn't do the fast-paced yeah. work hard, play hard life anymore with everything I had going on and I was like, I need to slow down. Okay, so another country added into the mix. <laughs> Moving to Melbourne. <laughs> what were you doing in Melbourne? So still graphic design. Okay. Yeah, being a key again being a kiwi luckily we can yeah. work in oz so again didn't have the visa issues so mm-hmm. notice that i'm very lucky there and yeah again it was easy to find a new specialist and okay. get in the door but yeah as i said i just really got this message of like slow down now okay you're headed for severe burnout i think i was already burnt out but knew that it was only going to get worse so my hopes in moving to Melbourne was I'm closer to like family here. Mm-hmm. I can have a car to get around. Yeah. It's still a big city. It's still huge and it still has a buzz, but it's yeah. got lots of space around yeah. it with like parks and the beach and nature. And great beaches because I'd never really explored the beaches in Melbourne until recently. And I'm like yes. ple- pleasantly surprised. Yeah, really nice. Like yeah. golden sand, like pretty warm water compared to Christchurch. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> So how do you find your symptoms while you're in Melbourne? Did you notice relief or were things heating up again? After the, yeah, the succinct things of getting a parasite and traveling, coming back to London, Mm -hmm. sorting out gut health, shingles, the surgeries. By the time I got to Melbourne, I was very burnt out. Mm -hmm. Probably I felt like a bit of a shell of a human at this stage. And that made it even yeah harder to settle into yet another new city, except the bonuses I did have friends okay. and I did have some family. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a cousin who lives there and his yeah. family and that was really nice and grounding to be like, okay, there's people here, I've got support. Yeah, It's like, it's gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. So I definitely slowed down. I still did graphic design and, but I just took at this stage, just took on like one freelance role okay which was it was still full-time hours but it was just focusing on one thing and then resting in between and trying to get that health up and I was reading that who you were working for in Melbourne plays a bit of a pivotal role in what happens next in your journey so I well when I first got there I just worked for an advertising agency doing yeah my normal kind of graphic design stuff and Again, I was seeing not only a specialist, but like I sought out a naturopath and a herbalist. And while I was searching for these people, this team that I wanted to get on board as such, I came across a naturopath, Chinese medicine woman, intuitive woman. She's she's a lot of things, but we'll just say 
she knows a lot about gut yeah. health and yeah. natural health and parasites and all sorts. And wow. I saw, she actually came up on my Instagram, I was scrolling, it's, I'm looking for a graphic <gasps> designer, um, someone to help out and in return like getting some mentorship. And I was like, this is amazing. Cause by now I was fascinated by diet. Yeah. And like fascinated by herbs and mm-hmm. how they could help as much as like medication or even like with medication. Yeah. And so, you know, I was spending a lot of my time going to these people and exploring this, being, you know, this human experiment. Yeah. That when I saw this job, I was like, this is great. I can learn more whilst doing the graphic design and yeah, keep this interest up and not sure where it'll lead, but led me to her and wow. we set up. Yeah, this kind of deal where I did some graphic design for her and in return I got all this great mentorship on all sorts really, like gut health, PTSD, herbs, how like emotions play a role on pain and autoimmune disease in the body and just all sorts of juicy goodness really. Wow. Yeah. So how long were you working with her for? So about two years. Wow. Yeah. So once... Once I like found her, I'd left the advertising agency and I was just freelancing on the side whilst uh, mentoring and working with her. And yeah, I just began working more and more with her, Mm -hmm. creating that lovely connection and relationship and learning. Yeah. And yeah, I felt a massive shift in my body. Okay. Like things really started to shift then, like the PTSD I'd experienced. I didn't know I was experiencing, but... PTSD from having a chronic illness for so many years and ignoring it and living in survival Mm -hmm. it finally had a place to come out and be worked through and I started to understand like the emotions and diet more and herbs and meet people through her yeah so I started to almost as I'm starting to find like a tribe where I belong because I moved away from drinking and partying at this stage and when your friends are into that, yeah. it can become quite isolating to begin with. And you're mm-hmm. like, hey, who, who What's do my I hang social? out with? Yeah. Like, who am I? What What do I want to be? What do I want to do? What do yeah. I enjoy? And you have to find like, this new identity and yeah. new tribe. And so that really helped with that. Mm-hmm. You mentioned mm. that you had started yoga when you were still at university. Mm. Is this something that you were still actively going to yoga classes when you were in Melbourne? Yeah. So I started yoga. I started with Bikram yoga at university, (laughs) which is 90 minutes of hot, sweaty yoga in a very hot room. And I did it. In a carpeted room. Yes. I always found that really (laughs) strange. I was like, and then just to watch side note, like the drips of sweat just going in. And I was like, "Mm, how about this? Yeah. And it's funny because I hated it. Okay. I hated it, but for some reason I just kept showing up. Wow. And I just don't know why. And I asked myself every time, I was like, why am I in this room? And I started to realize, wow, this is the only 90 minutes of the day where I don't think. Yeah. Where I don't feel. Yeah. Where I mean, I was feeling, but the heat and the stretching, I was like, oh, this actually feels nice. Mm-hmm. Like, So I wasn't feeling that pain and that jarring jolts in my joints. And it was so hot. You like can't think. Think about anything. So else. like yeah. I wasn't thinking about my disease and my health and the worries that I had and yeah, what's for dinner or any of that. It was like oh, I just got to breathe. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this class. Yeah. so and prison. Every- <laughs> and and then after a while, I started like crying in every class. Okay. And this happened more when I'd got to Melbourne. And again, I was still doing Bikram. Oh, wow. So that was 
it was the yoga I first found because it was the one that quieted my mind the most because yep. it was so extreme. And that's just what I needed at the time. Yeah. And once I started working with Tanya, the, the um, naturopath, mm-hmm. Chinese medicine doctor, she and she was teaching me about like emotions and how they're stored in the body. And I was doing yoga and I was crying every class. And it was after one class where I just walked up to the teacher and I was like, why do I cry in every single class? Like, it's kind of annoying. Um, <laughs> and I remember him telling me, he's like, yeah, your body's like processing as you like open it up where I'd yeah. been so tight and closed, mm-hmm. like from all the years of tension. He's like, it's just creating space for things and energy and emotions to flow through. Yeah. And I just became fascinated then with the body and how it stores emotions and how even just like a physical exercise of opening. Uh, I mean, you hear it all the time, heart openers, hip openers in yoga. Yeah, especially those hip openers. Right, (laughs) and where we store so much. And yeah, I just kept going because I was finding relief Mm -hmm. through that, like through the tears, through the stretching and strengthening. And eventually I got to a stage where I didn't need that intense heat to calm me and put me in that place. And I moved into like Hatha yoga and yeah. yin yoga and normal temperature yoga. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. room temperature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and did that inspire a trip to Thailand by any chance? Yeah. If you <laughs> I feel like sound like such yeah. a stalker. <laughs> I've done a lot of research. <laughs> it's great. It, a few things inspired that trip to Thailand. Okay. Um, yoga was one. So through yoga, I found myself, um, I, had, I had this friend in Melbourne, she's here now, she's just one of my best friends, Charlie, and she was very hippie when yeah. I wasn't, and I used to call her, oh, you're my hippie friend. Yeah. Like, she had crystals <laughs> in her house, she was always going to yoga, she was always making these amazing salads. Yeah. And she started dragging me to yoga classes in Melbourne, mm-hmm. normal normal temperature ones. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm transitioning. Yeah. And yeah we became like explorers of different classes around melbourne and there was advertised this class for this free yoga class and i was like i'm all for free at the moment (laughs) so we went along and we turn up and there's only five people in the room and they're like oh this is actually a breathwork class Ah. um and we're like okay and they're like you're welcome to stay like we just get together and we all breathe and i'm like i don't know what that means but (laughs) okay and we just decided okay let's do it and it was what they call like circular connected breathing or rebirthing and if anyone's done any of that kind of breath work it gets you into some quite altered states quite fast and so I remember (laughs) lying down in this room breathing and just having this really intense experience like yeah. in my body and my mind where all these memories were coming up and random emotions were coming up and anger was coming up wow. and the guy leading it was working through some stuff with me and yeah I just remember being in this really intense experience like oh here's another modality that clears and helps heal yeah. and so after that I worked with him for a few sessions whilst still going to yoga with my friend at her studio Mm -hmm. and at this stage I was told I needed a hip replacement okay they were going to do the left and then the right and I'd found a surgeon and I was 27 at the time I'd found a surgeon yeah I was kind of 
you know, prepared, had the surgery and then I booked it in Mm -hmm. and I was still going to these yoga classes and one of the teachers came up to me after and she said, I noticed you're having a bit of trouble with your hips, what's going on? And I talked to her and she mentioned that her sister had had very similar stuff go on and her sister had just been to Thailand to see um, this yoga teacher who owned a healing center over there had worked through a whole lot of stuff and can now walk essentially that's like the long story yeah. short yeah and I was like okay I was a bit skeptical at the time because mm-hmm. I'd tried a lot of things by yeah. this stage yeah. and you know I had the surgery date set and I was like this is how this it has to it. be yeah and I ended up meeting her sister and having a chat and then it just so happened I mean I don't think there's any coincidences but that the guy who owned the healing center was going to be in Melbourne <gasps> leading a breathwork weekend right and Amazing. it was a week before my surgery and I was like well I've got nothing to lose my friend's like yeah I want to go so we went to this weekend breathwork yeah. uh, workshop that he did and I remember after the first day after about four hours of all this breathing and taking in oxygen and movement I walked down, I was like, wow, I feel a lot freer. I feel a lot lighter and a lot better in my body. I wonder if I did this all the time, if I could essentially delay or bypass the surgery. And by the end of the second day, again, having more emotional releases. God, I love breathwork and yoga for those emotional releases. And I remember talking to him afterwards, asking him about a center and if he thought it could help with what I was going through. And I left not thinking much of it. You know, mm-hmm. I was still booked in for surgery. and But that, a couple of days later, I walked into my surgeon's office and she's just talking to me about how it's going to go. And, yeah. you know, listing all the complications. It was going on forever. And my brain just switched off and was like, you have to go to Thailand. Wow. You just, you have to go. Yeah. Because you'll you'll not know and you'll regret it yeah. otherwise. Yeah. And, yeah, I remember just calling my mom, being like, hey, don't come over. I'm not having surgery. I'm going to go to Thailand instead to this to this guy's retreat yeah. center in the middle of the jungle and uh, to see what happens. Because, and yeah, my mom's been great the, yeah. Whole, yeah. the whole journey. She's like, you know what, if you can find another way, I'm all yeah. for it. Yeah. So that, that was the events that sparked the Thailand, I think, needing – being told I had to have that surgery so young, mm-hmm. I was like, if there's anything I can do to at least delay it, yeah. I'm going to try. So you go to Thailand. Mm. How long do you stay in Thailand for? Two years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unexpected. But yeah. Yeah, two years. I went over and I did his healing. He's got like a healing course and mm-hmm. I did it for a month. And at this stage, I just remember being like, I don't need my meds anymore right now. Wow. And Again, like not advisable. Yeah. Looking back again, I was just very in the moment, yeah. seize the day. Yeah. I'm just going to chuck these out and trust for a bit and see what happens. And yeah, a combination of yoga, breath work, detoxing, mm-hmm. fasting, all sorts, like helped me to like start to resolve a lot of the issues going on in my body. Yeah. And I was walking more freely like walking barefoot everywhere and just like really I think it was the first time in my life where I had space to take stock at oh wow what have you been doing like yeah yeah what's actually important and almost like coming home to me yeah so it was like this loving space 
And yeah, I ended up staying and studying his yoga teacher training. Amazing. And then staying on to like, assist his yoga teacher training and mm-hmm. assist him and his center and work there really. Cause yeah. it had helped me so much. I was like, I just have to share this mm-hmm. with others that, that are coming here. Like this is yeah. all I want to do right now. Yeah. I'm not mm. too sure where this is in the timeline, mm. but is this pre 2020, pre pandemic? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's the two years before the pandemic. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then the pandemic happened. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I was, I shot out of Thailand due to the pandemic. Okay. Okay. So I'd I'd just gone to Bali to visit because you have to leave the country and go back in to get your work visa. Yeah. And by the time I went to get my work visa and go back, airports were shutting. Wow. I'd had a couple of worried phone calls from my mum, like, what are you doing? Like, the whole world's about to shut down. Yeah. You should fly home. And again, not thinking much of it. Mm -hmm. I remember talking to my brother and he lives here in Christchurch and he has a house and he was like, oh, I've got a spare room. Why don't you just come stay until it all blows over? Yeah. And so I was like, probably wise, like to just be somewhere where I know I like can get help and I'll be safe. Mm -hmm. So I flew in, I think it was March 2020 on the last flight before the borders were closed and people had to go into quarantine. So I was lucky I got to quarantine at his house. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I thought I would be there for a couple of weeks. I know. I remember that time thinking, (laughs) oh, a month tops? Yeah, same. (laughs) I was like, I'll just retreat for a month and then I can carry on. Yeah. Yeah. And so how were your (laughs) symptoms during all of this? Because when you're in Thailand, Mm. you stop taking your meds. Yeah. Things are feeling pretty good. Yeah. And then the stress of the pandemic and you come back to Christchurch and you're not every day involved in this centre in Thailand. Yeah. Does that affect you at all? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Just And just just before I left as well, I ended up getting dengue fever. Oh, no. <laughs> in Thailand. Yeah. Anyone with an autoimmune condition can be very susceptible to symptoms yeah. and other things happening once they get like a virus, yeah. especially quite a hefty one like yeah. dengue fever. And so that definitely took a massive toll okay. on my body. So kind of good timing to fly home yeah. just after that yeah, as well so I could rest and get the support I needed here to heal from that. Mm-hmm. And I think the shock of going from the jungle barefoot, yeah. <laughs> simple living, like never really on technology. I was just very present with who was there. Mm-hmm. Never like reading the news, never watching TV to suddenly four walls, a house. Yeah. Shit, I need to pay rent. I need yeah. to like, this food bill is through the roof. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's happened to food while I've been gone in these few years. Yeah. And stress kicks in and for me, Stress is always the number one flare-up for all of my symptoms. Like, just my body gets on fire, the joints all inflame, my digestive system plays havoc and just all sorts goes wrong. So the pandemic doesn't just last for a couple of weeks. (laughs) It continues. It's still... (laughs) And it is still continuing. What is the next step in the journey then for especially your hips? I came back and I was fine for the first six months. Well, when I say fine, I was still 
dealing with dengue symptoms. Yep. So a lot of chronic fatigue, mm-hmm. uh, like hair falling out, a lot of like muscle and bone pain because it gets like right into the bones, yeah. that particular virus. But my arthritis symptoms still seem to be at bay. But I'd say after about six months of... And that first lockdown, well, the first two, really threw me in that, you know, here I was at a healing center eating super well because it was super easy. You know, mm-hmm. the food's there. It's prepared yeah. for yeah. you. It's it's a dream. To, oh, it's winter. This is my first winter yeah. in a couple of years. All comfort food. Oh, chips and, like, yeah. getting – and especially like, being at home all day for that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for the first – two weeks of that lockdown super dedicated like yoga every morning breath work every morning eat well and then you know a little less yoga a little less walking a little less breathing and yeah oh wow netflix i haven't watched stuff in ages and you just i just got into a bit of a Mm -hmm. i mean i don't even want to say rut because it was a hard time yeah i think yeah you just did the best that you could and that was absolutely how I navigated it in the end, you know, the motivation started to die down, the comfort foods and winter yeah, came in. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, for me, foods definitely inflame my joints, like gluten, beer, yeah. um, dairy, there's some other things and it seems to change. But when I start eating them a lot, it's like I start to puff up and yeah. for the next year, I walked around in denial again, yeah. that classic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to pretend this isn't happening. Yeah. And I managed it still pretty good with, like, yoga and diet. But, yeah, I refused to almost see a specialist. Okay. Until until I, I couldn't walk. Okay. Yeah. So I knew my hips were getting bad. Like, yeah. you know, we just know deep down. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew I needed it sorted and I needed surgery. But I let it get to the point where walking from the house to the car was agony. And you were forced to confront yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens? Forced to confront it, I see I see a specialist and get x-rays done. And straight away, the x-rays are like there's severe like wear <laughs> yeah. and tear yeah. in both hips. And there's also cysts in the bones. Okay. And there's also inflammation down the whole leg in the bones. Yeah. I don't know how you're functioning. Wow. And yeah, that was another big wake-up call where I was like, okay, I... You know, I tried to do it without meds and yeah. naturally fully for a while. Mm-hmm. I was like, hey, it definitely needs both approaches yeah. for yeah. me. So saw a specialist, got referred to a surgeon. And then I think, yeah, well, last year in July, July 2022. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so six months ago, had the double hip replacement surgery. Yeah, I felt like I'd exhausted all options yeah. and yeah. I'd made peace with like the fact that yeah I had this of like this availability to have surgery in a first world country and yeah lucky yeah and you know I have these meds that although they have horrific side effects you know they can help me live a normal yeah human life and that that is what I desire like to live in yeah like, duality to have everything yeah know? exactly yeah so yeah, I had I had the double hip replacement six months ago. Okay, so you go through with the surgery. Mm. What on earth does that entail? <laughs> so it's I had yeah a full hip replacement in both hips. So that entails sawing off, I guess, the ball joint, the, mm-hmm. so the top of the thigh bone, 
and replacing that whole ball joint with a titanium ball okay. that gets in. Yeah, it's, it's hard to describe without an image, but a pin of metal gets put into the bone and the yeah. ball sits there. Okay. And then a ceramic cup gets put into, like, the pelvis joint. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so that can glide all smoothly. Wow. <laughs> I've never had to, like, say it yeah, yeah. in words. So, yeah, it's yeah. kind of... Mm. And do they normally do two at the same time? No. Okay. So they will... They'll tend to do it in younger people. They don't tend to do it in older because the the idea that the surgeon has is that younger people might be able to recover a yeah. bit faster. I yeah. mean, I believe it just depends how healthy you are, really. Yeah. yeah. And I was already on crutches and already unable to do anything. Yeah. So in his mind, he's like, wow, she's actually going to be better off straight after surgery than she is pre. So normal yeah. people would have realized they needed the hip replacement a lot sooner and probably got it a lot sooner so yeah. they didn't end up on crutches pre-surgery okay but me being in denial yeah. and stubborn and fighting till the end yeah yeah literally I was in a place where I could go to the bathroom by myself and that's about it yeah yeah like mom was helping and friends were helping with a lot of okay. things like basic tasks mm-hmm. like cooking cleaning anything and the pain was just yeah so bad that the surgeon was like you actually even the day after surgery your pain's gonna be less because that's how far we've like you've yeah not blaming me but like you've let it kind of come yeah and so the decision to get both was easy for me and yeah I actually get asked a lot online from people like oh my surgeon won't do two I wish he would do two so I'm not really sure why I mean it makes it a very it comes a major surgery instead of a moderate Mm -hmm. uh, because it's a long time under anesthetic and I did have some complications so I can see why Mm -hmm. they might not do two but yeah in my case I was very glad that yeah. they did because at this stage I was just ready to walk and get on with life and I didn't want to have one and then the other yeah and with rehab and yeah all the muscles it take like double the amount of time perhaps yeah 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 how has the recovery process been it's been both like brutal and beautiful okay like after the surgery yeah, it took a while to come back from, like, the anaesthetic. That's That was the hardest thing yeah. to deal with, I think. Like, the pain was a lot less, and I could move a lot more straight after surgery, which was quite buzzy. Yeah. Um, and the recovery has just been, I guess, a lot of, like, showing up and dedication. Mm-hmm. So a lot of physio every day. Yeah. A lot of pool work, a lot of physio gym work and conditioning because – from being on crutches, I ended up on crutches nine months prior okay. to surgery. Okay. And in that time, because I wasn't able to stand mm-hmm. or cook, I had severe muscle atrophy yeah. in every single one of my muscles. So wow. even like straight after surgery, I remember coming off my crutches and going to cook and even lifting a pan yeah. with nothing in it. Just was impossible. Yeah. I had to start, felt like I was starting from the beginning, like mm-hmm. a toddler trying yeah. to like learn how to do things and little things like reaching an arm above my head I was like oh no I just can't do that so it's been a slow process of building muscle and I guess resilience and energy whilst navigating new medications okay because they 
one when I had got to that stage of severely flared up and needing surgery, they couldn't start me on any immunosuppressants. Because, because you were about to get surgery. Yes. Yeah. So it became this yeah, hard task of I just have to be with all my symptoms wow. until the surgery. Yeah. And then after the surgery, again, they had to wait. I think they waited six to eight weeks mm-hmm. before they were like, hey, it's definitely like the bone's healed. You haven't had an infection. We're good to go. Yeah. And that's when, again, human experiment probably 4.0 at this stage yeah. is, is underway. And so it's been rehab and human experiment time the last six months. Yeah. Yeah, which which is why I say like brutal and beautiful because I'm in no pain in my hips, which is amazing after having pain there since I was 10 on and off. Yeah. But there's just the other joints and other symptoms that I'm trying to like mitigate. Yeah. Mm. And how do you feel now, January 2023, Mm. six months after the surgery, a few months after starting new medication? How are things looking for you? I feel stronger than ever. I think resilience-wise going through that period and going through that kind of surgery so young, like my mental resilience is so strong. Yeah. And my whole perspective on life has changed. Like I'm grateful for all the little things. Yeah. Yeah. And... I'm not attached to as many things anymore, like literally. (laughs) I'm not attached to outcomes as much anymore Mm -hmm. or this dream that I was chasing of like being normal. It's like, oh, perhaps like that was never my path and this is my path and it's beautiful because it's gonna help others, it's gonna help me, it's whatever it's gonna do, it's great. Yeah. And I think not having the hip pain has been great. I didn't realize how many things were out of alignment due to my pelvis being out of alignment. And accepting medications again was a big thing for yeah. me. I was so resistant. Like mm-hmm. I remember just bawling my eyes out at appointments like there has to be another way. I don't I don't want to take these like so resistant to them, but as soon as I yeah. started taking them and got some relief, I was like oh okay like I was refusing this help out of stubbornness and I was like now that I'm accepting this help and that applies to all areas of my life right now as soon as I've accepted support and help from friends and family and doctors and natural doctors and everyone Mm -hmm. life just got a whole lot easier yeah and better Mm -hmm. so yeah it's I feel pretty good pretty good and now I'm just dealing with I think something that happens to a lot of people that go through a big transition or go through a chronic illness of, and maybe I've probably been through it several times, a bit of an identity crisis slash shift of, okay, who am I now that I've just been through this year and that experience? Like, who am I now? What do I have to offer now? What what does going forward look like? Yeah. Um, And do you... Even this might sound a little bit strange for someone listening who 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 might not have a chronic illness yeah. or might not understand. But do you ever feel a sense of, oh, who who am I without pain in my hips? Does yeah. that ever come up? Yeah, yeah, I just got goosebumps when you said that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's something I've sat with a lot the last, especially the last couple of months since coming out of it. It's like, who am I? 
who am I without this disease? Yeah. Um, because almost by not even accepting help from the medical system, it's like I was playing into it, you know? Yeah. I thought I wasn't. I thought I was trying to be a rebel against it. But I was like, no, I'm, I was making it worse by not receiving that help. And yeah. now that I'm having the pain relief and the energy is slowly coming back after the surgery and as I get stronger with, like, my muscles, I'm suddenly like oh yeah who who am I now without that and yeah without that pain and yeah without that experience and now that I don't have to focus on surgery because it was such a focus yeah, you know have yeah. the surgery get over that hill yeah come down and now now I've got all this space it is that inquiry of like yeah who am I what's next yeah what the hell just happened yeah yeah <laughs> you know? what what yeah, what the hell just happened is a question I asked quite a lot as well. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that puts you in such a great place to be able to put yourself out there to help offer, like to offer support to other people that are going through this mm. with the work that you do and the offerings that you give out in this space. I just, oh, what what a journey, <laughs> you yeah. know, and it's still, the it's not even, it's not the end of the journey either. And that's, that's another thing, you know, I, part of in my head and I think part of in a lot of people around me's mind as well it's like oh she'll have the surgery she'll be good yeah you know yeah and yeah it alleviated a lot but it was like have the surgery and I feel like wow now now the work begins yeah definitely now the work really begins and the shifts really happen so but yeah the wisdom that's come from it has been so so great like so beautiful like nothing you could get from a book or online it's so embodied like within and yeah I know that'll help moving forward with clients with friends with showing up for myself and yeah incredible thank you so much for sharing (laughs) your story and your journey with me and with everybody listening at home today truly I just feel so honoured that you chose me and That's So Chronic to share your story. So thank you so much. Oh, yeah. No, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you today. And yeah, I've been listening for a while. And (laughs) I think the power of sharing stories is so important. Like when I was going through like my darkest time, it was the stories of others that had gone through and made it to the other side and were thriving. That was like that that's going to be me like it's going to be okay and I'm not alone yeah like that's really important I think to not feel that you're alone definitely Mm. you are not alone yeah yeah (laughs) oh thank you I feel like I went into this interview with all of the chaotic energy of my morning and I left a whole new person after spending an hour or so in Natasha's energy. If you would like to find out more about Natasha, you can connect with her over on Instagram at Natasha or on her website, which you can find a link to in the show notes. Thank you for listening and supporting That So Chronic. If you haven't already, make sure you've pressed follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening in from today so you never miss an episode and if you get a chance today i always appreciate a rating or a review thank you so much to everybody who has done that already and has to listen to me say that at the end of nearly every single episode until next week you can find me on instagram and tiktok i'm at that so chronic and i'll see you next time